Hello and welcome to Please Don't Send Me Into Outer Space, the podcast intent on exploring all that science fiction and fantasy has to offer one movie at a time. My name is Sarah. My name's Aaron. My name is Joel. This week was Gattaca from 1997, directed by Andrew Nick Cole, starring Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, Jude Law, Gord Vidal, Alan Arkin, Casey Jones. Oh, wait, uh, Elias Codius. <laughs> Why did I write down Casey Jones? I messed it up for myself. It's okay, Joel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Xander Berkeley, Ernest Borgnine, Tony Shaloub, and Lauren Dean. So- sometimes, Joel, when you're, when you're saying them, it sounds like they're all like one entity. <laughs> how quickly you say the cast. I just, you know, when the longer the cast, the faster I want to get through it's it. Fine, That's fine, You know, it's okay. It's I just, mean, it's just more of like, you know. Tons of well-known people in one this. giant conglomerate. Right? Yeah, there's a ton of people in this yes. movie. Mm-hmm. There are many people whose faces you've seen in other things. Yeah. I'm going to have to say, though, that there were certain connections I never made before. Like, the, the, like you said, uh, Casey Jones being uh, in this movie. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to have to say that I've seen uh, all of the Teenage Mutant Turtles uh, movies quite often, and uh, I never made that connection. Never <laughs> That's the guy from Gattaca. Yep. It's not like he's got a big role in this movie. No, I guess that's true. So this was Sarah's pick. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen Gattaca? Hmm... I don't know, but I would guess 20. Nice. Excellent. Nice. I don't think I've seen any movie 20 times. No, that's not true. I've probably seen some Disney movies and stuff 20 times. This is probably my fourth time. Mm. Fourth time watching it. I would say that is probably also accurate. Does it feel like to you guys that this is a movie that you should be able to like talk to anyone about? Gattaca, I feel like, is a very um, conversational movie. This movie definitely uh, brings up some topics, you know? And that's pretty cool. I just mean, like, do you feel like everyone has seen it before? No. No, I'm going to say that it's not that universally known. That's funny, because I do. I feel like I could, like, talk to... Just bring it up, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. But maybe I'm the one who's crazy. I don't know how many times I've seen it, but I think... um it was probably one of those science fiction movies that when I was a teenager, I kind of thought was really cool. I think the year was 1999 when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. And my science teacher showed it in our in our class mm. to, to provoke conversation on uh, stuff that I'm sure we're going to get into. That's cool. But it was really cool. It was a re- that, was, that was a really fun experience. That's what my niece said. She said that she had to watch it twice in school. Wow. She thought it was super boring. <laughs> oh, wow. That's Mia, who was on the Her episode. Her. It makes me wonder if, like, the association of having to watch something in school makes you, like, not like it already. Hmm. I feel like I'm an outsider on that concept, but yeah, I could see how people would be turned off from not wanting to watch something. Because yeah. you're being, it's like a mandatory, like, all right. Gotta put my gym shoes on. Gotta watch this movie. Know, there were some things. I, I mean, we watched Schindler's List when I was in school. I really liked that. And all, you know, it's really heartbreaking. I was, I I was watched, never allowed to. My oh, parents yeah. wouldn't sign the permission slip. You don't get to know about the things people do. I don't know. I've never seen the movies. So. Well, <laughs> it, it's, it's very sad. Yeah, I imagine. And Gallipoli, which is another very sad horror movie. <laughs> but I like that one, too. You've probably seen stuff that bad in, like, comic books. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Your parents are I'm like, sure you can't watch that movie. Now check out this Punisher comic. It was really awkward, though, because, like, my parents wouldn't sign the permission slip to watch Schindler's List. But I had to be in the same classroom as the movie was being portrayed, played. So, like... Yeah, if you have your head on the desk No, or I had... He turned my desk... It was really awkward. Like, he turned my desk all the way around. So you could hear it? I could hear the movie going on. I couldn't see it. And I had to, do, I had to like, work from, like, a book or whatever. and Because like, we were all doing World War II. It was, like, World War yeah. II, like, month for my, my history class or something like that. So, like, I was just, like, studying, like, some... Nazi war general while this is going on and I was just like, oh, bummer. I think (laughs) I skipped that whole thing. Like... World history? I had um, a kind of a basic overview of history class. Right. I feel like it was the only one in high school. Yeah. I definitely had world history and U.S. history. I don't think I had anything besides those. But that doesn't really have anything to do with Gattaca. Well, it kind of does. (laughs) Tell me. Well, up until recently, I mean, I've been interested in art for a really long time, but, but this movie has style, and I think that that really that really intrigued me when I was younger was uh, different styles. And when I was younger, I was like, wow, everything's really modern in this movie. And then this time when I saw it, I was like, this is really Bauhaus. And Bauhaus is the art movement and school that happened in Germany before World War II. Oh, so I was starting to think about the fact that it could be sort of metaphor. Yeah, it wow. could it could like be eugenics me- and it could be dealing with the subject in a sci-fi environment. That's very plausible. You're blowing yeah. my mind. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I kind of I was surprised by it because I I noticed that in modern design there's a lot of rectangular shapes, but in this there were a lot of long curved shapes yeah like sloping shapes and it wasn't just that it was everything it was down to like the scissors or vials or anything that they had was Bauhaus Mm. design and it must have taken a really big effort to make everything look that way but um yeah it had me kind of wondering if metaphorically it was pointing at um things in our past that have dealt with people who were obviously treated very badly because they were different. Um, they were seen as lesser. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The more, the more you're talking, the more, the more I'm seeing the narrative from that angle now. That's very interesting. I, it was something that intrigued me this time around because I don't think I knew what Bauhaus was when I watched it when I was younger. Right. And I recently have just kind of been inspired by Bauhaus and I have a bunch of stuff on Pinterest about it and stuff. And really, I'm not an expert or anything. <laughs> I don't, I don't claim to know all there is to know about Bauhaus, but, um, that's definitely the influence of wow. the style they have in the mm. movie. And maybe they're saying it's a future take on that kind of idea. Which which kind of idea? Of the Bauhaus or the uh the the uh, genetic c- perfection. It could be Yeah, it could be a modern take on genetic perfection. Like that society taken into a futuristic setting, maybe. I don't know. No, I mean, that's... Yeah. I don't know. I just... See, I wouldn't know that. I just thought it was that retro future thing that movies always do. Like, that's that's super popular to do the... Like, this is obviously taking place in the future, but they, for some reason, they've got those old-style cars, and people wear the suits with the hats. And, uh, yeah, you know I, what I mean. I definitely felt like their society was driven by science, as opposed to 
you know, religion or, you yeah. know, other there influences. Like there was nothing like that. I felt that science was definitely, because, I mean, they're talking about going to space, colonizing yeah. space, you know? Like, yeah. like, this is just, like, a thing that they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just happening out and out. Yeah, (laughs) you know, this is this is the way it is. (laughs) I just found that to be very compelling and interesting, um, as opposed to how society is now. You know, it was just it's just a a weird alternate, you know, universe almost. You know, yeah. I think it was seen as like a horror story for certain types of beliefs and people. I mean, it, it kind of is a horror story. I mean, yeah. If you're not born genetically altered in this way, you know that goes into like the GMO stuff that people are so afraid of. Oh yeah, that people don't understand. Like, you know, like are they manipulating things that nature didn't didn't uh, intend to be that way? And you know, a misunderstanding of science, and that's that still feels like taking science too far. I, that point in the movie after the main character, Ethan Hawke's character, is born and his, his brother is basically being pre-planned. And the parents yeah. are like, well, we'd like to leave a couple of things up to chance. And the guy's like, you know, why why would you give him any disadvantage at all? Why, aren't you, why wouldn't you give him everything in the world if you can? I think that his brother was fundamentally different than every other of those uh, quote-unquote perfect characters, though. He actually seemed to be quite emotional compared to, say, Uma Thurman or anyone else that was working at that lab. Yeah, you, but you I... You make a good point, though, about, about the emotion and how a lot of characters are very devoid of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But I do think that um, Jude Law's character was emotional and had insecurities about his abilities even before he you know we don't know what his life was like before this story but but he points it out at some point that he only ever got the silver medal instead of the gold yep and then there's the guy who well if there's anybody who hasn't seen it should we say it's past our timeline can we spoil things yeah let's give it a synopsis here and and uh First, let's do yeah. Let's just do a synopsis, and we can spoil this. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a dystopian future setting where um, is it dystopian? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think they think. I don't think it's worse off. That's what I think of when I think of dystopian. Like we've had some sort of disaster. You don't think that we're worse off? Not in the movie. No, I think it's supposed to be like they got you know solar panels everywhere and. Oh. All that stuff. Gonna, I, I think there are lower classes of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all I was going to point out was is that it, I agree with you that it's not like they're struggling to steal gasoline from people to continue living. You know, resources are abundant, but there is a class system. Exactly. It's not the Omega Man. That's true. Um, there are people that are looked down upon. Right. It's genetically. They're yeah. looked down yeah. upon. Yeah. The... The thing that I really like about this movie is that it takes place in the future, sort of the way, like, Equilibrium or something like that does, but it doesn't hang on any real special effects. It's all practical. Like, almost all of the things they do in the movie are done practically, and they make it almost seem reasonable. They almost make it seem like like it could plausibly happen. Um, and it's not too far off from what we have now, but anyway, the story takes place in the future and, um, it's set in a place where basically there are natural birthed children or genetically perfect children. And that depending on what your what your DNA is like, you can be denied jobs or or privileges to certain things. So it's like basically I'm sorry. you become a second class citizen. Yeah. 
I think a lot of people might have taken issue with this movie because Ethan Hawke is in it, and some people might not like Ethan Hawke. But I see it as being, like, a super serious, like, topic that it's dealing with, even though it's kind of told in, like, a fantasy style or whatever. I think it is a really good movie, and it speaks to something that's super important to me, which is, like, equality of mankind, which has basically been one of the most important things for me in my whole life. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's something that was, like, a basic fundamental part of my upbringing was... Knowing about people who were underprivileged. And I know this is like a sci-fi setting of that and everything, but um, it does make you think about people who don't have the same rights as other people mm-hmm. have. I'm sorry, I got a little caught up in my idea of that for a second. No, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you did very you, much for sharing. Did you explain um, Ethan Hawke basically is faking his way into this world? No. Um, so basically, Ethan Hawke is the uh, main character, and he's the narrator of the story as well. And basically, he is explaining that he was a natural-born child, and that in order to achieve his dreams of being able to go into space one day, because there is a huge industry of people who are astronauts going into space, that he has had to pretend to be someone else, basically, who has the perfect DNA or gene structure or whatever. Yeah. And then there's a murder mystery within it. Yep. That almost breaks his whole world apart. He's been working tirelessly to fake this life. Like, he has planned everything down as much as he could. He has made almost no mistakes this entire time. And then... At the very end, when he is, uh, you know, like two weeks away from being able to live out his dream of going into space, somebody gets killed at the place where he works, and all of a sudden, things could go very wrong for him, because there's a whole bunch of people sniffing around Uh back where they didn't used to be, and Xander Berkeley's like, hey, nice penis, but that has nothing to do (laughs) with what's going on. Dude, that must be the most awkward work work situation ever. Like, you know, he wasn't genetically like Xander Berkeley was just a regular guy who happened to be one of the doctors on there. So I guess he expected people not to react to the way he was doing it. I don't know. I think it's a ridiculous line to put into a movie. Aaron, have I ever told you you have a magnificent piece? <laughs> Why? Thank you, Joel. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed. Uh, well, if you think about the security at this facility, every day, Ethan Hawke gets up, goes, you know, he, he uh, you know, the elaborate scheme is, is that he's, he's, he's devised a way that he, or do you want me to reveal things? No, that's, this is fine. I just, right. I'm, I'm this part. I, I mean, the, there are certain things about this movie that I find particularly silly. And yeah. this, this whole, yeah, yeah. Get, cool. get, what cool. does he do? Oh, okay, okay. All right. So Ethan Hawke's day in uh, a day in in the life of Ethan Hawke's character in uh, Gattaca is is that he wakes up and he puts a fake thumbprint on or, or fingerprint on, and within that thumbprint is a little bit of blood, uh, to, so that when he when he presses his finger upon this machine, it will read the other person's blood, not his blood. Uh, then he also. <laughs> He also he puts a little little, little jug of uh, urine strapped leg. strapped to his leg, so that so that he can squirt this urine into a thing uh, that that will read the other person who is uh, quote unquote genetically superior to him. Yeah, yeah. He does this every day. <laughs> At least that's the movie. Seems like it's the movie. Day, yeah. Makes you feel like this is an like everyday thing. He at Got least to... has to prick his finger every day. I don't yeah. know if he has to pee every day. Yeah, because you know, after he... a while, wouldn't Xander Berkeley get tired of looking at that penis, no matter how nice it is? No, what I was thinking yeah. was maybe they do random 
urine tests. So maybe he does have to have it on his leg every day just in case that happens. I think it's funny that he... (laughs) Yes. So urine test, I can understand, especially if they're trying to get out people who are trying to, like, break ahead and maybe using drugs or something like that. Although drugs do not come up in the movie at all. But literally for your identification into work to have to be to prick your finger every every single day. Every day. Like, maybe, maybe for, like, maybe once every month or something if you're super paranoid. And then you get a nice badge. <laughs> or, you know, a security gate where you have to sign in or something like that. You know, every single day. I just, I don't know. I feel that the world of Gattaca would, like, would, 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 uh, it would benefit from cameras, man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that would have been the easy. There seriously are no, yeah. There are yeah. no cameras, man. Yeah, true. Anyway. Because they can't look at the, later they're not looking at any of the data or anything like that when this crime occurs. Otherwise they could figure out who the hell did it, I guess. Maybe because it's a tro- top secret facility or something. I'm I'm not sure. That's but, something they didn't guess right about the future. I guess the <laughs> they didn't realize that there were going to be cameras everywhere. Yeah, that we're in that kind of police state, not the other kind. They figured they they could trust everybody there because they were genetically correct, except for uh, superior, except for a good old uh, janitor Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Cabby. Second appearance of Ernest Borgnine in the podcast. Thank you for uh, coming back. Uh, When you said his uh, daily routine in order to pose as this, I thought you were going to talk about the thing that I actually think is really silly, which is getting up extra early just to scrub off extra dead skin cells and extra loose hair. Like, that's an impossibility. (laughs) You're going to... Your body is constantly going through that stuff, but it's just crouching naked in this chamber. <laughs> <laughs> My notes were incinerator. <laughs> the shower doubles as an incinerator. <laughs> it's like black light. Which, oh, jeez. I don't know. <laughs> real good. I'm a person who sheds hair. So everywhere I go, there's like hairs coming off of my head. Mm. I would not get away with a crime for one second in this movie. <laughs> my hair would be everywhere. <laughs> Serious. Same here. When he gets in a situation where somebody's going to think he committed these crimes, he does finally leave behind part of his DNA. And, like, none of us have this problem, but the the hair he leaves behind is gigantic. Like, I know yeah. it's, it's supposed to be a camera shot so that you can obviously see it. But even when they pick it up, I feel like it's the biggest hair I've ever seen. And then later <laughs> they're like, yeah, we found this eyelash. Like, holy <laughs> just look for the guy with, like, six long, six foot long <laughs> eyelashes. He did it. I think that he does drop stuff around the office, but he... Doesn't worry about it because it's not being, like, vacuumed up by the CIA or whatever. Right. Normally. Yeah. <laughs> the Gestapo. The Hoovers, as they call them. He is very meticulous, though. Because I think he even takes uh, the the other guy's stuff and, like, he discards it in the keyboard. But I want to see... Do you know what I mean? Like, he carries a little vial of, like, dead skin cells yeah. and, and, and So, and Jude, Jude Law is handicapped in this movie, right? Yeah. He can't, yeah. he can't, uh, he's a uh, paraplegic. By the way, I love Jude Law's character in this movie. Yeah. Just putting that up. I love Jude Law in general. I think he's a really good actor. And I wish he did more really good stuff instead of whatever he's been doing, you know, since Rebo Men. Or whatever. Repo Man? Repo Men. Oh. Not Man. Not the good movie. I was like, did he do a remake of Repo, Repo Man? The character is uh, emotionally complex, and I like it. Yeah. Uh, he's got, you know, he's got issues from when he wasn't handicapped, and then he was an accident. Which they point out, like, there are ways, even if you're perfect, that, you know, people can't predict what's going to happen to you. Like no one can predict if you accidentally get hit by a car. That's just it for you. Yeah. But he's not, 
Anyways, I, I was laughing because I was imagining like, well, where, does does that mean Ethan Hawke is like standing over him, scraping off these skin cells for him? <laughs> well, <all> these ones. <laughs> I was picturing Jude Law getting in the shower before him <laughs> and or after him and doing the same thing, <laughs> like scratching off all the DNA and then like putting it in a bag for him or something. <laughs> Scoop it off the tray on the bottom. <laughs> I don't know. Gross. <laughs> there were some over dramatic parts for me. I've seen this a lot of times, and this time I was like paying close attention to anything that I maybe didn't like very much. And if I had to criticize something, I'd say that the music is a little bit too um, emotive for me. It goes into like dramatic music probably oh, more often yeah, than yeah, it yeah. needs to in the score. Yeah. Some beats. Don't really have much to say about the score. I didn't really notice. It was very noticeable at one point for me mm-hmm. when Ethan Hawke's character was was uh, butt naked in the ocean, scrubbing himself the rock. <laughs> the music, the music comes in pretty hard right there. <laughs> First of all, he was using a seashell, which was oh, like, was it a seashell? Which Sorry. was a callback to when he cut his palm with a seashell and tried oh. to get his brother to be his blood brother. Okay. It's mm. like, they're already blood brothers. I mean, okay. That's not the way blood brothers work, man. All right. Sorry, that was just a scene that's burned into my memory what? for some reason. You've never been naked on a beach scratching yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Scraping your arms and buttocks. Scraping <laughs> dead skin flakes off? <laughs> Can't well, say I have. While don't. a woman is wondering why you're not in her bed anymore. <laughs> Can't oh say I have. <laughs> wake up in the morning. Oh, sorry. It. I'm just ashamed of myself scrubbing off naked on the beach. <laughs> he looks so hunched over and vulnerable. Yeah. It's a very interesting thing. Like, yeah, it's just burning in my memory. Just, I'd never think I'd ever see <laughs> Ethan Hawke so vulnerable naked, naked <laughs> on a beach. You know? It's like the Terminator. He just came out. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Reese just came yeah, to the time yeah. for me and I was scraping his ass. <laughs> they can't find me oh man <laughs> it'd be funny if another naked guy was like hey what's going on buddy <laughs> walking down the beach walking his dog it's like you're in the rocks too or you're mm-hmm. in the seashells hey cool. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> oh my god sorry to, sorry to go there she had just... a sweet pad and yeah yeah Uma Thurman's character had a sweet pad mm-hmm I mean, he had a, they had a nice place, too. It was just all the lab equipment, but otherwise... Uma Thurman's place reminded me of the um, house from the... the um, what was the 60s, 60s sci-fi movie? Um, Spencer um, brought us the 10th the, the Victim. 10th Victim? Yeah. yeah. That, that house reminded me of a couple scenes from that movie. So. Mm. Did you? We watched that movie Ghost Rider together, right? Nicholas Cage ghostwriter. Ghost yeah. Yes, we did. Oh. I felt like the house kind of like played a role in that movie. Yeah. And I felt like if if there was any house that reminded me of the one in this movie, it was it was that one. Mm. Because of like the glass walls and stuff. Yeah. Very clean, very nice looking. It reminds me of that shot of uh those people who were eating in that restaurant in Santa Barbara right before that huge wave crashed through the glass. Have you seen that video? It was like from a a year or two ago when the waves got really high. Somebody just happened to be like filming and it like crashes through. And it was a place in Santa, it wasn't Santa Barbara, right? Or was it here in Ventura? Santa Barbara. Not that we live in Ventura. We live in Oakland. Totally Oakland, California. What up, Oakland? A's. Wait. A.K.A. <laughs> Ventura. What? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, Han, going back to this World War II thing. Uh-huh. I mean, that part where they've got those... When they're trying to find the killer, and because of uh, Ethan Hawke's gigantic hair... <laughs> They know that it's one of those imperfects, whatever they're Invalid. called. Invalid. Invalid. Yeah, that's a terrible thing to call somebody. I mean, that, that's like untouchables, you know? Yep. The other word they use was genoism. Yeah. I've got some genoism. Oh. Don't worry, I'm taking medicine. It'll clear up. Good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> that scene where they have, like, just gathered them all, and they've got them behind fences and, like, are interrogating them. Yeah. The spotlight. It's, like, yeah. terrible. Yeah. You know, internment camp. Yeah. Like, it we, looks like a camp, basically. Yeah. yeah. I just put, like, like, Bauhaus... 1933 School of Art and Design closed by the Nazis in Germany. Metaphor for the Holocaust? Question mark. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, you're spot on. Yeah, it's like pre well pre Holocaust. You know, it's like when mm-hmm. they were just treating those people like crap right before it hit the fan. Yeah. But I think just trying to say everyone needs to be, you know this specific way. Um, they definitely do that in the movie. They say, you need to be this specific way to be accepted and to get into all the right positions. And, and yeah, you're an invalid if you're something else. You're a janitor. Yeah. Only fit to pick up our trash. Or look at our penises. Oh, if you're a doctor. I don't know if that doctor oh. was in the lower class. I think he was, but he was older, so he had this position. Like, I don't think Gore Vidal, as the uh, the head of the institute or whatever, was one of the perfects either. I think he was just an older person who had, like, had his position. And this basically the generation that Ethan Hawke and his brother are in. There's, are, there's like, like a 30-year like, gap. the first ones are... I feel like there's a 30 year gap between you know, yeah between uh uh the workforce I guess right yeah the, the they who are perfect and they who are not yeah yeah like Alan Arkin getting bossed around by his brother yeah oh, it's like obviously Alan Arkin probably has way more experience but he's an invalid he does a really good job in this movie I always like to see him in a movie that I enjoy. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> what, I, what I mean by that sentence is I don't like every movie that I see with Alan Arkin in it, but I like seeing Alan Arkin. Which one was he? Uh, he was the older detective guy that yeah. was like, we found a hair. It's got to be this invalid. No, we need to interrogate all these people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's good. He was really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Give me my heroin. <laughs> Yeah, they they were ignoring the obvious, like, line of questioning. They basically, it was, you know, profiling or whatever the heck you want to call it. Like, yeah. oh, well, this invalid came up in the system having been on the premises. It's obviously that guy who killed somebody. Totes. And instead of looking at who actually was motivated to do it or why or what transpired or whatever they're just looking for ethan hawk's character because they assume that if he's the invalid that he's the one that did it or whatever yep Yep. and then they come to find out eventually that the right line of questioning like you know who would have been upset yeah who actually has motive (laughs) yeah yeah who had motive yeah is what leads them to what happens, but, um... The crime itself is kind of ha- pretty heinous. Yeah. I mean, as an IT guy, I'm very familiar with keyboards, and I don't think I have the capability to smash someone's head in with a keyboard. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say future keyboards, in the, or at least the keyboards <laughs> of this dimension, <laughs> are like... Made of titanium. Much sturdier, <laughs> yeah, much sturdier than, than the ones that we are used to. And, and spoiler for the end of the movie, it, it turns out it's the, the chairman, it's, it's Gore Vidal, who committed the murder because he wants this launch window to stay open and this guy might have stood in the way. And, I, you know, Gore Vidal is an overweight old man. <laughs> You know, he's not a terrible looking person or anything like that. But, you know, once we find out it was him, I could just imagine if he took off his shirt, he's like totally ripped. Ripped, yeah. (laughs) I didn't think about that at all. He's got muscle like Cal Dargo (laughs) or something. Yeah, he's just ripped. There are a lot of weird visuals that they give you, like the six fingered, like, person who plays the piano. Oh, yeah, that was cool. And, like, the. Just, yeah, the. The death and the the gym, the weird gym that they had. Everybody running on the treadmills for a test, yeah. Yeah. 
One of those, I think one of the girls that was in that was actually a model that was famous at the time. Oh, there were tons of, like, I didn't even name all the people in the movie that were famous that, that like, because some of them, like, Maya Rudolph had a very minor part in the beginning of the movie, but yeah. I, I didn't recognize her until I looked it up on IMDb, and I was like, oh, crap, she was in it? That's cool. I wonder if her and P.T. Anderson talk about how great it was to be on the set. I want to talk about... See, uh, this time watching the movie, the man with six fingers on each of his hands... Whoa. Tiger, that's a cheeky He fact. took his real chance. You took your chance, baby. That's not allowed. <clears throat> with the chicken juice off of a plate... Okay, baby. Can't have cats. Sorry. They lick. They lick the butter. Yeah, I mean, there was chicken on that plate. Is there chicken still on there? No, I hid it under the other one, but the plate still had the residue. It's a fast. Anyway, the six-fingered man <coughs> who killed you killed my father. Father, <laughs> <laughs> prepare to die. So, six fingers on each hand. In order to play this, to be this amazing pianist, right? That means it's a genetic anomaly that his parents must have chose to give him on purpose. Because they wanted him to be a pianist. That is like simultaneous. No, it's just, it's like revolting to me. It's disgusting to me to think that like, because like... I, you know, you see somebody with six fingers on their hand, it's weird, you know, and people are going to treat him like people who don't understand are, are going to react to that with fear and, and disgust, you yeah. know, it's not his fault. Like, literally, somebody before he was born decided what he was going to do. Yep. Yeah. Terrible. It is a very frightening thought. Yeah, definitely. I wish my parents had done it for me, but come on. I uh, I think that it's kind of odd that they had that part thrown in there, like like there are some things in like the upper crust crowd that it's okay to be different about oh, yeah. if it's for this specific skill set or whatever. That I don't know. I just think it's kind of an oddity. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Yeah. And uh, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman were married after this. They, I oh, think, in real life? Yeah. Oh, wow. They were married for a long time. I read th- in this magazine once that that uh, Ethan Hawke saw Uma Thurman, like, at an ATM in New York or something. Uh-huh. And he was, like, a total unknown. And... Went up to her and was like, you are so beautiful. Can I take you out sometime? Like, was like trying to pick her up or something. And she was like, no. Probably married to Gary Oldman at the time or whatever. (laughs) And then later on, they met when they were doing this movie. And he was like, I'm the guy from the ATM. (laughs) That's that's awesome. Wow. (laughs) I thought that was funny. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Isn't that a tale as old as time? The ATM? The ATM. Most <laughs> encounters. Creep jobs at the ATM. Someone's going to hear that story and be like, yeah, I should approach a woman at the ATM. <laughs> like, well, first of all, don't approach a random woman and just be like, hey, let me have your number. Second of all, don't approach somebody using the ATM. That's like a security You're breach like, thing. Uh, don't look at what I'm doing with my money right now. <laughs> I don't want you to know about this or this. Joel, I'm really, I'm really glad that we get your perspective on this because I was like, oh, that's romantic. Like, I my mind, it was romantic, my mind, I, too. In my mind, I'm like, oh, how sweet that he, like, you know, his feelings for her, you know, he yeah. had to tell her. And then, but, but then I get Joel's perspective and it's like, You're oh, my crazy. God, a horrible. I don't know. I don't, no, I, I don't thought that think- was good, you know. <laughs> 
I don't think he was being creepy, but I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> I guess it's the moment where you're like, all your information is right out there. And some guy walks up and he's just like, you're beautiful. I'm like, whoa. Hey, hey, I, just, I just Wait, saw you. Let me get this 20. Bank <laughs> I just saw you take out that $60. I think you're beautiful. <laughs> Why don't you buy me dinner? I only go out. Oh, I left my, I left my card at oh my home. God. <laughs> Does anyone know where you are right now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Things probably, you want to hear at the ATM. <laughs> probably more innocent than that. <laughs> Does anyone know where you are? Does anyone know where you are? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any living family yeah. <laughs> who would miss you if you were gone? Oh, man. Yep. <laughs> the sad part is the sad part is that you know some like awkward people have like tried to pick up on somebody by using them just the totally wrong thing to say. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no, you don't you don't want to be the creep. <laughs> I just cut my hand. You're really attractive. Can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> this ATM. Oh man, yeah, it's real nice. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of Uma Thurman in this movie? I liked her. I think that um, I like her as a person. Like, I don't know why, but <laughs> I just do. And um, in this movie, I think she was. I think she was playing a role that was supposed to be kind of subdued. Yeah. I think everybody, the whole culture in this movie is like kind of more toned down and yeah. oppressed. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you could see that later when she, uh, she takes some of, uh, Jude Law's samples to the, the matchmaker DNA place, I guess. I yeah. Really weird scene. That was another weird yeah, thing. Yeah, that was a weird and <laughs> little bit of culture they had there as well. Yeah. You can see that she is, like, holding herself back. Like, she gets, you know, excited or disappointed, but, like, later she's just, you know, stiff upper lip. Like, I have to hold myself a certain way kind of thing. So, yeah, I think she does a really good job. I do, too. I think that... When she was really young, like when she did Dangerous Liaisons, I think that maybe she might not have been that great of an actress then because she was so young. Don't kill me for saying that, but like, (laughs) (laughs) I think she's great, Uma Thurman. Oh, you're afraid Uma Thurman's going to kill you? Yeah, Uma, I think you're great. (laughs) Yeah, I love you in Kill Bill and Kill Bill Volume (laughs) 2. And other things. I love you more stuff than that. <laughs> I thought she was pretty good in Baron Munchausen as well. Yeah. That was a fun movie. Another seashell. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Ethan Hawke was scraping himself with that. If you know what I mean. Okay. Okay, oh, so man. I got the ATM. I got the incinerator. <laughs> oh, the incinerator. This is a dramatic movie. There's drama in it. Some sad things happen. There is happen. some drama. There is some drama for sure. Yes, there is some drama. <laughs> Continue. Uh, Ethan Hawke eventually has to come out to Uma Thurman that he is "quote unquote" a borrowed ladder, which means he took someone else's DNA strand, and he's ashamed of himself. And uh, she, she basically decides she still likes him anyway. But some crazy stuff happens towards the end when they're getting ready for the launch to happen. And, you know, he has a few scares. Somebody tries to go and check up on him at his house. And um, Jude Law has to pretend to be himself. I don't know if we really talked about that. Like, the main source of his trouble is this, like feeling Ethan Hawke has this feeling he needs to prove himself like to himself because he feels like his parents and specific more, more specifically his father rejected him because like he didn't 
purposely didn't give him his name. And then when his brother was born, oh, yeah, you've got father's name and stuff like that. So there's been this rivalry, even though this, his brother is younger, that he's always had to prove himself to be worthwhile because he was an invalid and his brother was genetically perfect. His brother is played by Lauren Dean, which I, I feel like I've seen him in other things before, but I'm not I sure. I couldn't too. tell you. Yeah. yeah. I have too. But... He, Lauren Dean is on the other side of this, uh, he's basically the head investigator looking in to solve this murder and stuff like that. So he's like right on the trail and Ethan Hawke has been basically, uh, the old, the younger brother thinks that, uh, his older brother is gone, has died or something like that. He doesn't know he's around anymore. And so... They're always on the edge of, like, running into each other. Ethan Hawke's always on the edge of having to con confront this person who he is purpose purposely separated from his life. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's that drama. There's the Uma Therma drama. There's all the drama Ethan Hawke has himself. You know, the Jude Law stuff, too. Like, Yeah, there's a lot of, like, inferiority complex-like stuff. There's a lot of insecurities... Everyone has insecurities in this movie. Even the people that are, like, the genetically perfect ones. Yeah. It's like a complex that everyone has, like, in the, so the society that they live in. Everyone is so driven consciously being aware all the time of their flaws. Yeah, and that he has pressure from himself, which I have to say, you admire his ambition in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would say that he's the greatest actor ever, but in the role, I think he did a good job. Yeah, I think he did a I, good job. I really yeah. appreciated his acting in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I think he played a great Dorcas. <laughs> he did pretty good when he was pretending not to be a Dorcas, too. Yeah. And, you know, he's trying to measure up to his brother, like you said. They have this swimming competition that's like a chicken match that they do where... They're daring each other to see who can swim out farther or whatever. And and then... <laughs> <laughs> no. Nobody does that. I don't even know what that move's called. <laughs> I, I don't know either. Do you know? Some diving, dancing the swim, move. I'm the guessing. Swim. You're doing the swim. No, I don't think it's the swim. <laughs> Holding your nose and diving down. Uh -huh. You wiggle your arm, though, while you're going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can't just, like, go down in a straight line. you got to wiggle. No, it doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't have the same effect, Joel. Just looks like some weirdo in an elevator going down holding his nose. This is a stinky elevator. Somebody farted. <laughs> it must have been Ernest Borgnine because he's invalid. I remember thinking that um, watching the swimming part like always made me kind of hold my breath because of the way it's shot. Yeah. Like, it looks like it really was filmed in the ocean. Yeah. And... And the camera sometimes is, like, half underwater, half above. But, um, yeah, you feel like they're far away from the shore. <laughs> it causes almost a weird claustrophobic yeah. effect for me. That's what I felt with a lot of the swimming scenes. Because, like, the fog effect they have going on on some of them. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, my God. They're gonna just, like, 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 literally Disappear the elements forever. are just going to kill yeah. them. You know, yeah. like, they're just like, peril is there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I find that terrifying. Like, the concept of swimming is so far out into the ocean that you can't see the shore anymore. Yeah. It's like, hell no. Like, I, I can't even do that anyways. You know, I wouldn't, I'm not, not a strong swimmer or anything like that. But, like, I even feel uh, like a, a, a trepidation, you know, a bit of paranoia about the idea of being on a boat and not seeing land. Like, I'm not even sure I've done that before. Weird. But, uh, Obviously, I had seen this before a couple of times, and that, that's, like you said, it's, it's a claustrophobic feeling and unnerving. But this time, this time when they're swimming uh, away from those areas and they got, like, the big rocks and the, the water's crashing in on there, made me think of that scene in Under the Skin with that family oh, and their yeah, dog. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, like, terrifying. That scene is... That's... You, your mouth hangs open because you're like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen, almost. Yeah, it's definitely like a 
like an instinctual visceral thing that you have to it where you think of how powerful the ocean is and you think about your experiences like and you and then you see like in in that movie you see the waves like so big and out of control and these like sharp rocks everywhere Mm -hmm. and you don't see them coming back out and you and you're like it looks so convincing that you're like those people are gone like and so is the dog yeah that's terrifying yeah and what you were saying about swimming until you can't see the shore is that i have very i've gone swimming a lot in the ocean and i haven't tried to swim until i couldn't see the shore (laughs) anymore because very often you get caught in a riptide even a very subtle one oh yeah and you realize you're way far away from where you were when you swam out so like if you were to get I don't know. If you were to go out farther and get pulled one direction, you could be completely lost forever. Maybe that's also part of the metaphor. Like the the brother who's perfect and should be able to beat Ethan Hawke uh, hesitates because he can no longer see what he's familiar with. And Ethan Hawke continues to push forward, and that gives him the advantage. You know, he says... How are you doing this? And it's like I've never saved it, n- saved the strength to go back. I've always given it his all, given it all, and uh, I think that has to do with it. Like you have this safe little world that has been tailor made for you from birth, and I've been living constantly in the fear that things are going to fall apart. So I'm not afraid to go into the ocean. I'm not afraid to go into space. Because what I want is probably just beyond whatever is over there. I'm not afraid to see the new thing. Yeah. Also Nazis. That that reminded me of that story you told me about the person who started running the shorter mile or whatever. Did you listen to a podcast about that or something? I don't remember which one. The first person to start running the quicker mile. It sounds familiar. Now, I I don't remember. Oh, okay. The thing I was thinking of, which is funny, was um, that Malcolm Gladwell podcast we listened to, talking about how uh, the the concept of, of, like, why... Sometimes you'll get an outlier in a in a situation where, say, a woman becomes prime minister for the first time ever, and then never it doesn't happen again for years and years. Or, you know, in our case, it's probably going to be that way with like, well, we had a black president. You know, we don't have to have it for a long time, and it's this like psychological thing where people can be like, "Look, we're not racist. We're not sexist." This happened. Okay, everything go back to normal. You know, and I was placing that in the context of this movie, although they don't know that they're they're well, they don't know until the end. Like I think it's going to be revealed after he's already on his way out to Jupiter. Yeah. That wait a minute, this guy wasn't who he was this whole time. You know, like we we sent an invalid up there, but he was as good as our best. You know, maybe we need to reevaluate but probably not the reaction is probably going to be like we need to buckle down on this thing like this guy was a really great guy and uh you know he deserves all the accolades that he's going to get but uh that doesn't mean the rest of you ever have a chance you know xander berkeley your son is never going to be where ethan hawk is and his penis is not going to be as magnificent (laughs) Is, is that social that's that's the lesson I That's learned. your takeaway. That's his takeaway. <laughs> Are we ready Good night, for takeaways? <laughs> no. I actually don't have much else to say except for that I have to admit I did have a crush on Ethan Hawke when I was a teenager. One of my favorite movies was Reality Bites. And uh this one I was just like, okay, cool, you're in two cool movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like the way this movie is made. Aaron, do you have anything else you... Well, um, 
I really enjoy this movie a lot. I think um, I think it brings up a lot of really cool. I mean, obviously, we we could probably spend hours talking about genetics and and about how it would be awesome to like you know give our children this amazing future where they don't have to deal with this kind of bull crab you know health problems and you know but like I think this movie is really cool that it kind of gives you the the other hand the other the other side of that that maybe maybe this is something we shouldn't mess with you know and uh, I think that's kind of cool other than that man I mean my favorite line I think in this movie is uh, a <laughs> silly one uh, near the end of the film when Ethan Hawke and um, and uh, um, Jude Law, Jude Law are, are, are kind of having their, their final conversation before the mission and he's like come here I want to show you something <laughs> and he opens up this freezer and he's like there's almost two lifetimes worth of urine and blood <laughs> right here for you. I just love, every time, every time I get to that scene, I lose it. Like, it's so immature of me, oh, I know. man, but, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> I just like, here you go, when you return. I've been pissing in these jars, yeah. right? <laughs> My favorite line is also a Jude Law one, when he finds out that he's going to be taking the mission and that he's, He's going to be going up into space in like a month or something. And Jude Law is like, we need to get drunk immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is serious. <laughs> no, he's really, he's, he's, he's amazing in this movie. Yeah. And it's totally yeah. worth it just for Jude Law. My second favorite line is from Jude Law. Obviously, my first favorite line is, have I ever told you you have a magnificent pe- or unit or something like a piece? <laughs> I think he says peace. Jula doesn't say that. No, no, no. (laughs) I say my uh, second favorite line, which is said by Jude Law, is uh, when he, when that detective's going to his house to see, because he, he, like, supposedly called in sick, Jude Law has to uh, fling himself up the stairs because his legs don't work, and uh, that's where the front door is, so he can't answer it. And uh, later, uh, Ethan Hawke, who's been <laughs> who's been hiding downstairs, which is really I funny don't understand where he was. He's just kind of standing there. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> where he came from. <laughs> he's like, "How the hell did you get upstairs?" And uh, Jude Law says, "Oh, I could always walk. I've been faking it." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Good line. Good line. Yeah. No, but he, that that scene is amazing, though. How he plays out, you know, crawling up the stairs and everything. Yeah, because like. You, you as the viewer, know that he has full mobility. Yeah. But, like, he plays it so well. He does a really good job. Like, yeah. when he lifts his leg to, like, properly oh, yeah. set it, he did it over the other real. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, where's my kiss to Uma Thurman? <laughs> oh, yeah. Who he's never seen before. But he knows that what's-his-face is with her. Didn't I see you at the ATM once? <laughs> Oh, forget it. Jude Law probably gets girls at the ATM, no problem. <laughs> He's probably the one who was like, hey, Ethan, you know, those nannies are really, they're really good. Oh, you know? God Because they almighty. both, like, hooked up with a nanny, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they incorrect. got the nanny connection. Gentlemen, incorrect. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to say about the movie is this, you can know this is a good movie because it rewards rewatches. Like, yeah. We've, like, noticed different things every time I've seen it. Yeah. And this time especially. Like, the more knowledge I have, the more knowledge I can apply to what I'm seeing. And there's obviously things I didn't even pick up. Like, Sarah talking about the connection to you know, World War II and and uh, terrible things like that. And it's like, whoa, I didn't even see that in, like, you know, Bauhaus. Obviously, I don't know what that is. You know, I thought you were talking about a band. I was like, I don't remember that band. Um, there is a band Bella called Lugosi's that, I <laughs> Bella Lugosi's dead. Is it? That's just that's that's their well-known track. I see. Uh, yeah, they're they, named after it. Oh, okay. Okay. They're named after Bela Lugosi. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, really good movie. It's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. I like I said, I've I assume that people have seen it, but maybe I'm. Yeah, maybe most people our age have seen it. Making them watch it in school. Yeah, well, good. I honestly think that it is worth watching in school. Even if you can't find the parallels for what it references at the time you're watching it, you might understand it later looking back on it. They're watching Abraxas. 
Guardian of the Universe, or whatever it's called, instead of Gattaca. They're watching Quincy's Quest. Oh, God. Very educational. I think it'd be more appropriate for a history class Zardoz. than for oh, yeah, science. Zardoz. Actually, it works for both. Zardoz has all kinds of symbolism. You know, it's great for kids. Oh, yeah. Zardoz is definitely made for children. A penis is evil. No. <laughs> the gun is good. One, oh, uh, okay. One more thing I wanted to say. Sure. Uh, Tony Shalhoub in this movie, who plays like basically the, the dealer, the one that like sets... Ethan Hawke up with Jude Law to oh, yeah, take yeah. his identity. He's Monk? super cool yeah. in yeah. this yeah. movie. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's all slick and he's a player. Like he's not dealing with any crap, and he's just like, man, Tony Shalhoub, you never look so cool. Mm-hmm. Not even in Thirteen Ghosts. Nope. No. Do you think it was weird that they were living together? I mean, it makes sense in the movie that they need he needs more materials or whatever from him, but. It is kind of funny that they ended up living together. Yeah, it is. I like the <laughs> dynamic, though. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that dynamic as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, they, like, they almost had, like, bunk beds or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's convenient that he, had, he already had that scraping room with the furnace in there. Yep. Yeah, Maybe scraping. they had to buy one of those. I'm sure it was part of the deal. <laughs> like, you get the scraping room, you get all these uh, lab equipment and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Two years worth of urine sacks. Don't use them all at once, he said. No. So good. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing next week. Uh, If we can arrange it, we'll be watching a movie called Prophecy, which I understand is about some sort of bear. Uh, If we can't arrange it, then we'll pick something else out. Cool. We'll let people know. Thanks for the picks, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I know it's one we've probably seen a lot of times oh, already, no, but thank you. I, thank th- you. I think it was a good movie. I feel like I've watched it for the first time, based, just based on the conversations we were having here. That was, that was really good. Yeah, there's a lot of insight. Thank you. Yeah. Good podcast. Five stars. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> on iTunes, you can leave that. Five stars. <laughs> leave a comment. Just be like, I like Joel's beard. Five stars. Yeah. <laughs> Joel's we'll appreciate real, it. Joel's real good at fixing my printer. Five stars. Five star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Joel fixed my printer and gave me kisses. Five stars. No, no, Joel does not give kisses to anybody. My kisses are meant only for me. I don't even kiss Sarah and we're in oh, a relationship geez. together. I just hold a mirror in front of her face and kiss. <laughs> True story. I learned a lot today. (laughs) (laughs) Email any suggestions or comments you have to please don't podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or the pod listening device of your choice. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PDSMIOS. And if you subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave us a star or written rating because it helps us to be more visible to the public. Thanks to David DeRoy, D-Dog, your theme music is awesome. Jed Dowtry for our podcast logo, thank you very much. And to Spencer Seams for being a super good friend and fan. And our families for all the support. <laughs> We couldn't do what we do without you. Joel, did you learn something? What? From this movie? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the lesson I take away from this movie is uh, say you're in a tunnel and <laughs> there's like a stop ahead and the cops are looking for sure. invalids and stuff like that. You're wearing contact lenses. Don't, don't throw them out of the car. Don't. It's... Especially if you're super blind. Like, he's blind. Like, he can't see anything without the contact lenses. In. I was Man, just surprised he didn't have, like, a backup pair. Put them in your pocket. You know? Put them yeah. in the car. Wash them or something. Yeah, you should have a backup pair, for sure. No, oh. Maybe he was afraid to be searched and they'd be found. Yeah, I, I, I think that know. was supposed to be it, but... Yeah. He's just, you know... He could have had, like, a hidden compartment in his shoe. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. This is what comes <laughs> to mind. This is what comes yeah, to mind. Yeah, he could have been a real get smart. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's what I learned. 
well, well, Sarah, what I learned from this movie was that if you ever want to be a detective, all you need is a hat. Oh, and you're in. true. Every detective in this movie had like a like a fedora or they like did, some type huh? fancy hat on. They totally did. See, that's one of the bit people we didn't mention. Uh, freaking uh, <laughs> what's his, what's his name from uh, Breaking Bad? Yeah, uh, and I remember the actor or the character's name, <laughs> but he's in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Hank. Hank, Hank from Breaking Bad. Yeah. Anyways. He, he had you know, a hat. He, he did a good he did a good job. Yeah. He, he was, had a hat. He's a pretty good jerk. Yeah, he did a good job. And speaking lines. Yeah. <laughs> What's my lesson? Yes. My lesson from this movie is a pretty good one. It's don't listen to people because they'll tell you that you can't do something. But I think that the message in this movie is if you have ambition, you can do it anyway. You just have to try hard enough. I don't know if I believe that to be 100% true, because I know some people who've been very ambitious towards certain things, and um, and the answer was a firm no <laughs> from the universe. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I, I do think that um, many people have gotten very far from just having the ambition to try. Yeah, totally. Follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. Reach for the stars. If don't. you miss, you only fall crashing to the earth. Don't let your dreams just be <laughs> dreams, Joel. Mm-hmm. Don't go just chasing do it. waterfalls. <laughs> just do it. Mm-hmm. Nike. <laughs> We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.